Okay, well, my name is Lawrence, and I drive a what, orange Scion FRS, but I also drive a Toyota Camry, and I actually end up driving the Toyota Camry more often because I go to school in Ohio State. You know what's funny about that? You also, also drive a Camry. A Toyota Camry <laughs> also drives that more often. Me, yeah, yeah, but I have a choice. So it's weird because here's the decision I make every morning. Outside in the freezing ass cold, where it's like zero degrees with wind chill and covered with ice, there lies my Toyota Camry. Has this huge crack across the windshield. And every time I turn the heater on, the crack grows a little bit larger because of the temperature gradient causing stress on the glass. So I have that. And I have to walk across like this this curb that's filled with ice because this curb has this dip, right? And the snowplow never gets to it. So this ice just always stays there. And it just gets compacted more every single day. And when I step off this curb, it I feel like I'm going to die because there's nothing to grab onto. And... I'm like slightly leaning forward and I put my right foot down and I don't know if that's going to catch on anything and sometimes it slips a little bit, but you know, I make it to the car or I could go downstairs through an elevator to a heated garage and drive my 370Z. So this, I make this decision every single morning and I still find myself driving the Camry more. Well, to be fair, your 370Z is a hell of a lot lower than your Camry. I can make it. Plus, you know, technically it's safer because, like, guess who cared enough about his car, his Z, to put snow tires on? And guess who didn't care enough about the Camry to put <laughs> snow tires on that? So, you know, the car I don't drive is my safer, more fun, and also more fuel-efficient car. <laughs> Yet, I drive to work every morning in this 06 Camry. Do you guys not just, like, carpool with Nick? Fuck that. I mean, I get off at, like, 3 or 5 or 6. I don't know. I don't want to wait around. Like, I'm already at work for 6 to 8 hours or 9. You know, who knows? Who knows how long every day? Last thing I want to do is wait another 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, how much do you value your time? Like, gas is so cheap now. Going to and from work costs, like, maybe a dollar of gas. No, yeah, it's, it's like, and absurdly cheap right exactly. now. Exactly, and that dollar of gas is it's worth the 30 minutes. It's worth the freedom of choosing when I want to go. Okay. That's, that's why. So, uh, we both drive Camrys, and... The reason being is that it's really terrible outside because we both live up north and there's a shit ton of snow and ice and yet we decide to go with all seasons. Oh, actually, another thing in the Camry. I can just stick around on the ice and no one lifts a brow. But in the Z, if I so much as downshift... I get a complaint. It's like, wow, this guy's driving aggressively. I just downshifted first, so that's another one. Neighbors. <laughs> okay, well, 
So, so what is the argument for all seasons and, and snow tires? So I have two different cars, and they have two very different personalities. On one hand, there's my Camry, and its sole purpose in my life right now is to get me places, like just point A to point B. Yep, that's all I use it for, and digging around. But on the other hand, I have my Z, and I use that for mostly for fun. So on one hand, I have this car that's pure utility, and the way I think about it is, well, what works? Like, what what do I need so that this can do what it does? And on the other hand, I have this little project. It's like, how can I make this better? So like, it, it was pretty obvious, like. If I just drive the Camry, if the all seasons work fine, I'm sticking with it. But you know, on the Z, that's that's my project. It's gotta be the best it could be. So, all snow tires all the way. Also, well, if it weren't snow tires, they'd be summer tires, and you know how bad summer tires are in the snow. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. Have you ever met someone who just kind of skates through life and just makes his minimum payments, and that's that's the all season guy. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He he clocks in, clocks out. Never the first to come or the last to go. Just kind of does what needs to be done. No flair about it, and you know he does this year round, day in day out. All seasons. And then you got people with snow tires who are, like, trying to maximize everything. Yeah, yeah. But they can't go on forever, you know. They they burn out. Gotta change them. (laughs) Burn out strong. So, you know, they cycle through. And, you know, every every six months, you know, just put on a different set. (laughs) Yeah. But... Yeah, it's interesting, like, I had this debate with some people a few days ago. I was like, well, this guy moved up here and was like, do I need winter tires? And there are people in both camps pretty strongly supporting them. It's like one guy's like, yeah, obviously you need winter tires. It's cold up here and all seasons just don't cut it. And another group was like, well, actually, if you don't drive like a jackass, all seasons We'll get you there, right? Well, okay. It also sort of, like, depends on how well Madison does of plowing the roads. Because even though it does snow, like, Columbus is usually pretty good at plowing the roads. Yeah, but there are places that just never get plowed. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's not so much here because it's it's a city, so there's there's, like... Not very many chances of roads not being used. But, like, if you live more suburbia, yeah, that would be true for sure. Plus, like, what about your driveway? You know, if you can drive through snow, then you don't have to shovel your driveway. That's the best part. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... Even then, let's let's say your roads are completely clear, right? Yep. Let's say ideal scenarios. This is winter time. But wherever you live just magically doesn't get snow every year. There's still a difference. Like your all seasons and your winter tires 
won't behave the same way. Like if it's cold enough, and it probably is cold enough, you know, all seasons they have this temperature range that's just kind of a little bit of both. And snow tires they don't really work that well until it gets cold because of the silica in the compound. So you know, at this temperature range, those snow tires are going to have more grip. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to the mentality, like, do I want to be able to get there or do I want to be able to get there a little better? Like, it's a little bit of a safety net. It's like the same reason some people get summer tires in the summer instead of all seasons. It's the same argument, but just kind of flipped on its head. Because, you know, if you get grippier tires, you can stop a little faster you can turn a little faster. You can accelerate break. a little faster. You can brake in a exactly. shorter distance. That's a huge one. Yeah, so it's it's a safety thing. And you never know when that extra foot or so might make the difference between hitting or not hitting something. Or even if you're going to hit something. Let's say like, oh, you know, there's no way I could ever stop if someone pulls out in front of the driveway but you might be able to slow down more if you have the appropriate tire for that temperature. Yeah. And actually, for winter tires, according to Tire Rack, that temperature range starts at like 40 degrees Fahrenheit and like lower. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really that cold. No, not, yeah. And that's comparing to all seasons, but... If you're already in the mentality during the summer, so if you have summer tires, like you're not going to switch to all season tires in the winter. You're going to switch to winter tires, so it's not even a debate. Yep. Yeah. I agree. All right. So Lexus just pulled out a new car called the LC500, which is a flagship coupe. That reminds me a very a lot of the RCF. Yeah, but they're trying to get you to think of the LFA. I know, which is a problem. That's a problem. Because I mean, if you look at it, it's yeah, it's, it bears some similarity. Like the proportions are pretty much the same as the LFAs. Okay, here's the problem. Is is like, I don't I don't think like they they have a like a very distinct like identity with this car because like the LFA was for sure a, like a supercar, no no question about okay, it. Yeah, but outside of the LFA, does Lexus does any of their other cars really have a distinct identity? They always have these cobbled together. So, like, look at the headlights. Okay. Any Lexus there. Okay, but like at least their purpose is pretty pretty definite because you look at like the LS, like that is for sure going to be a S-class competitor. You know, like it's very focused on luxury and and like even though it could go 0 to 60 and however fast it can, like that's not the whole point of the car. The whole point is just to cruise around, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think 
the LC500 was released to really compete with anything. Like, they didn't design this car to compete against the 911. They didn't design it to compete against the F-Type, like, or the Corvette, or any, or any other car in that price range, because if they did, they, they wouldn't greenlight it. From that standpoint, I don't think this is a good car. It's not a competitive car. What it is is a car that someone might aspire to, maybe, if they like the style a lot. I mean, that it's, that's the only really, way you would really buy this car. It really comes down to that, I think. It, it, it would have to come down to just styling. I mean, yeah, because if you think about it, if you're not really into the drivetrain of the car, it looks like a heavily discounted LFA. If you think about it and you don't know everything it shares with the RCF, first thought is, huh, it's like a... It looks like a comfortable... It could be a comfortable LFA car. LFA V2. Well, okay, it could be like a, a comfortable LFA, basically. Yeah. But see, like, if I want a comfortable two-door coupe... Mercedes S Class. It comes in a it comes in a coupe now. Yeah, but it doesn't look like an LFA. Like, I think this is selling purely on style. That's what it's going for. Okay, yeah. but see, another thing that like that's so confusing is that they they talk so much about oh look at this like daring coupe with a low purposeful stance, and I swear to God, I'm reading straight from their website. <laughs> Uh, a robust, naturally aspirated 5-liter V8 that generates 467 horsepower and does 0 to 60 in under 4.5 seconds. Yikes, that's really high. <laughs> <laughs> when you, I was about to be surprised when you said under 4. I was like, huh, that's not bad. Then you, then you continued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you have to... I mean, I'm pretty sure this car is supposed to weigh like 4,000 pounds. Yeah. If not more. So, like, I just... I mean, to put in perspective, that's roughly, I think, the time estimate that the Q5, the new Q50, Q60s are having. No way, with with the twin-turbo V6? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, some some people are estimating, yeah, 4. Point, about 4.5. Wow. I mean, that's, that's like a car and driver 0 to 60, but... You know, it's not that fast. You know, four under four point five these days. That's yeah, I mean, we're we're living in a time when you can buy a Corvette Z06 with six hundred fifty yeah, horsepower for a hundred thousand dollars. That's yeah. That's I, that's, okay. that's insane. That's not a good number. <laughs> but it's just it's so weird how they like they really like touched on the performance of this car even though it's not a performance car but it's not like a full luxury car either so it's just like what are what are you trying to do with this and i i guess it just has to come down to styling yeah i mean it's very much like the XLR oh god it's all down to styling it's not going to 
be groundbreaking in any performance metric. <laughs> Do you know how depressed I was once I actually looked into that into the XLR, especially the V series? How bad was the V series? It's okay. So, um, for those that don't know, it's like you know the XLR was built in the same plant that the Corvette is built because they share the same platform. And so it would only make sense to, you know, because you want like a sportier car to share at least the same basic block as like, you know, the Corvette, uh, you know, a GM LS motor. But no, they decide to put in a, a North Star V8, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it performs worse than a Corvette. Oh, and it weighs a shit ton more because of that retractable hardtop and all the insulation added. You look at the interior, and to me, all of the switch gear looks exactly the same. The only differences were the seats and... And the wood veneer. Yeah, and the wood veneer. I mean, I swear to God, the, the clock faces... <laughs> The clock faces on on the gauges were all exactly the same. They just said Cadillac versus Chevy. Oh yeah, and, oh, these gauges look really bad. And and even worse is but, that. But it does have this screen, and back then that was hella high tech. What that that little screen between that the seats? Screen. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's not that high tech. This era this car was in, that was. The pinnacle of luxury <laughs> is not getting is not getting wind blown back into the cabin. <laughs> that screen, man. <laughs> anyway, what's even worse is that like, like the interior had, had didn't even make like a like a massive jump, and this car costs like a hundred thousand dollars, and. It was based on a C5 Corvette, even though at that time the C6 was coming out, and it already came out when it was fully in production. Yep, that's failure in a nutshell. Like, <laughs> if I bought that car and found out all of these things about it, I, I, I seriously would have to like sell it immediately or hide my face or something. Have you ever just pulled up the interior and just looked at it? Yeah, oh, yeah, without, definitely. Without knowing the outside, it looks like some executive sedan. Oh, oh, yeah, so I know. You would have never thought. Suggests, not a single thing suggests that it's a sports car interior. You, okay, look at the XLRV, which, you know, costs $100,000. And then look at the STS sedan, which I think... Almost has the exact same interior <laughs> and costs fifty thousand dollars from the same company. <laughs> so bad. Oh my god, they look very similar. Oh yeah. I think the only difference is that vent is on the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and and this car costs, you know, like fifty thousand dollars. Actually the X 
the STS-V that I'm looking at is actually a little bit sportier inside. Why? Because of the red interior? Um, wait, which one are you looking at? I'm looking at one that has a, uh, has a, like a, like a dual, dual trim interior. So it has red and black leather. Uh, well, I think the CTS is slightly more sporty in, in this grand scheme of things because you know how cars these days, that center console should, is always slightly facing the driver to get that cockpit feel. Mm-hmm. This is like tilted 10 degrees. <laughs> Right there, that's that sets it a step above the XLR. The XLR. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit more forward. It's one one half generation ahead in stylistic thinking. I mean this car was just doomed to fail from the beginning. I don't I don't understand what they were thinking. I mean if you think about it now, they obviously were like, fuck that shit because they put a Corvette engine inside a CTS. Oh, yeah, they're not going to make the same mistake twice. <laughs> At least we hope not. Uh, oh. Other, other companies might. <laughs> which, which also brings up the fact, because the XLR, uh, how the year 2000 might be the worst, the worst years for cars. Just those early 2000s. Yeah, it's this awkward teenage phase of cars. You know, it's like kids, they're cute, and college, everyone grows up and matures and is a better version of themselves. Well, the 90s were a hell of fun time where all these great sports cars were out, and, you know, there was the Supra, and, you know, the RX-7 was out, NSX, right? NSX, yep. now, Now we have 400 horsepower sedans. But 90s. 90s. You had, you had, you know, cars with giant V8s making yeah. like 350 horsepower. Um, you had, you had, you had GM making like all of their interior switch gear was made out of the shittiest plastic you could find. Speaking of which, Ford even, even had switch gear put into Aston Martins. Which is, I mean, I know they shared the same keys as Volvos and stuff for a long time, but like even so, put, putting a Ford Taurus like door handle into the flagship Aston Martin is a pretty big slap in the face. Yeah, you'd expect that to at least be a little custom on the small parts. Yeah, parts we see <laughs> the parts we touch. Yeah, early two thousands cars. I mean, Mercedes basically lost all of their, like, reliability credit, just, like, street cred in the early 2000s. Because, you know, back in the the 70s, 60s, they were considered one of the most over-engineered cars ever. Didn't Porsche suffer the same thing? Oh, yeah. They had those lemon boxsters. Yeah. Yeah. Those those were... IMS failures. And, and and even the 911s at the time were considered, like, one of the worst. I mean, yeah, like, every other 911 has appreciated, like, crazy, but, you know, those are still under 20. I think, are, are they called, like, the 996s? Or was it 993? Something like that, right? I think so, yeah. Anyway, like, <laughs> like, 
because you you have all those people who were so who were like such big fans of the air cooled nine elevens, and then this was like the first like one of the first like earliest gens to be liquid cooled, and like it's one of the ugliest nine elevens in my opinion. Yeah, the nine nine six, right? I think so. That's when they had that kind of like extra light bulb, like extra light fixture yeah. on the sides of their lights. Yeah. Kind of this little tear looking thing. Like like thumbs, like like opposable bad, thumbs. Yeah. The lights just kind of blocky in the rear. No character lines at all. Kind of smooth all around. Not not a crease actually. Yeah, like it just was to me. It's not. It's not a very good looking look. car at all. Bad look. <laughs> uh, that was a rough car. But yeah, like God, the nineties, even the eighties were like super cool with the Testarossa and the the Countach. But like, what what early two thousands like supercar what, like amazes you? Because I really can't think of any. If the S two thousand counts as a supercar, no, it does not count. That's, but that's but it, the only car. <laughs> it is a it is a very good you know like the uh, everyday car. Let's see. Maybe the F430. Was that early 2000s? or? It, it, depending on what you classify. That started production in 2004. Okay. So I guess they skipped it a little bit. Because like 2005 is when I start thinking like cars got back on track. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the that was the first of cars that started doing it right again. Yeah. What was what was? Did Lamborghini have the Gallardo, or Gallardo, or however you pronounce it? Like what 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 did they sell at like before that? I don't think they had. I don't think. I, yeah, I don't think they. I think they only had one car every for the longest time. Yeah. And that did that didn't even start till two thousand three. And it lasted. Yeah, that was two thousand three. And it lasted ten years. Bread and butter. I mean, it's probably their most so like easily the most popular car. What? Okay, what was Porsche selling in the early two thousands? I mean, the nine eleven. 911, the Boxster, the Cayman wasn't out. Was the was the SUV out? The Cayman? I don't know. Oh yeah, the Boxster was out. Nope, the Cayman started in nope, 2003. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Not that it was some spectacular car either. No, but it helps pay for the, all the cooler cars. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's when companies started figuring out, hey, you need boring cars to pay for fun cars. Yeah, you know, actually, that that's probably... That, yeah, that formula totally works, because every you, company has a boring car now. 
if you think about it, early two like the two thousand threes, that's when the Gallardo first started making production to help fuel the Murcielago. You had um I don't know. Porsche starting the KN so that they could fuel the nine eleven. Um that that was the best business plan ever. Oh yeah, no doubt. Now every dad who's ever wanted a Porsche can justify to his wife, hey, honey. Practical. Practical. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I just I, I literally just can't think of any car in the early two thousands that that was like mind blowing. I mean if you even if you think about it, in in the nineties McLaren F1s were going 243 miles an hour, something like that, right? And it took, like, another 10 years and, like, like 500 more horsepower for anything to beat that. Yeah. And then that's also, like, it also happened to be, like, that odd time between, like, the end of the F50 and then the start of, like, the Enzo and those, like, hypercars at the, of the of those times just just a terrible time for cars sure was yeah aren't you glad we didn't turn 16 then i would have bought a 90s car i did oh, start with a know, 90s car that actually would have that would have been pretty nice cuz yeah, those cars would have been prime used on the used market. Yeah. You know, not not too old to have problems, but still old enough to have have the peak of their depreciation hit. Here oh yeah, and and like I do want to mention my my first ever car, the 1991 Toyota Cressida where you have to think about it. This is this is when Toyota was still making rear-wheel drive cars, like sedans. Think about that. When's the last time? I mean, other than the FRS, that Toyota's made a rear-wheel drive sedan. I mean, there's Lexus. Okay, but like, <laughs> super like Toyota, the actual like, their own brand. Supra. Anyway, I just want to, like, point out that even back in the 90s, Toyota was making cool shit. Like, so the Cressida's, like, it was their flagship sedan, essentially what what eventually became an Avalon, which is really sad and depressing. But what was cool about the Cressida was that it also shared the same, uh, the same engine as a Supra back in the, in, like, the... Like very very early nineties and whatnot. This, I mean, this is before the two JZ came out with their cast iron straight six. But the seven MGE or something, whatever I can't remember right now. That the Cressida had was also an iron block straight six, and it was good for like two hundred horsepower, which at the time was like really pretty good. Yeah, I mean. That's what your car has now. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 still more horsepower than my current Camry. Not my Camry. Okay, yeah, but you have the V6. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the 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 current the the Camry that I have right now is a four-cylinder only making around 180 horsepower if that mm. so i like that that still blows my mind that they're making that kind of car in the 90s and look at cars today they've just gotten so i mean for the mainstream market super boring in comparison everyone wants a practical car I know. Oh, so so. Let me ask: Are are you looking forward to the to the to the point where every car is uh, self driving? It really depends on one thing: Will we still be able to drive when we want to? Yeah. I mean, then I mean, if self-driving cars is an added functionality on top of cars today, that would be awesome. Exactly. That's exactly but how I feel. But I think ideally, in a self-driving car ecosystem, you wouldn't have any non-self-driving cars because humans driving—that's just unpredictability. Yeah. Right there. And that just makes the whole system, even, even if there's one human driving, that slows down the whole system a lot more. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't have to, like, obviously it's, it's definitely more efficient if every car is, like, self-driving so that you could get them all synchronized and in a grid and then, like, yeah, traffic lights. every time. Yeah, and then you could, like, traffic flows would would, would never have jams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would get to places so much quicker and more efficiently. But we don't have to have, like, self-driving cars that do that. We can have self-driving cars that just know how to drive themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be the next step. Yeah. So I, I don't know if we would worry about not being able to drive because I see if that ever happens that would be you know dozens of years away oh yeah and then you have to think about like security concerns with having all of the cars essentially linked up in a way so that they can all be run together and like you know people can hack cars now imagine being able to hack like a group of cars true so, but I, I honestly, I'm looking forward to the fact, like, when, when cars can just drive themselves, but you still, like, have the option to drive yourself. Drive. Yeah. So, like, I mean, imagine, you could, you could, uh, the, for the people that commute, like, long ways to work, you could, you could use that time to sleep more. Or, like, you know? Or, or you know, just, just fuck all day on the road trip sure yeah that too i mean hell like that's how you should sell it hell like even even just like when we go on our road trips just and we do those like overnight like drives if if like 
you know, we had that minivan and everyone just sat in the backseat and watched the movie, that would be awesome. Yeah. Or, you know, just sat in the seats. There wouldn't be backseats. There'd be like this, these swivel seats. And it'd just be just this mobile room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're just not having to drive opens up a whole world of things that you could do in the time. I mean, not even then. Have you heard what people are saying about, you know, the autopilot feature in the new Tesla updates? And people are saying, yeah, you still have to monitor it. But the fact that all you are doing at that point is monitoring is already so much less tiring. Yeah, oh, yeah. Than even the most basic of highway groups. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, even that is a huge step. And what's really cool is, like, is, like, uh, like, have you, have you, like, read into their uh, autopilot system at all? What, like, the technical aspects of it? No, well, like, just, so apparently, if, 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 if you're doing the autopilot and it, like, you know, has, like, some sort of glitch and doesn't run the road correctly. So you take over and you drive it, right? You drive it yourself yeah. that section of the road. Well, then, it'll learn to correct itself, and then it'll upload that data to, like, Tesla's servers so that it can be patched into all other cars so that if any other car goes on that same stretch of road, it doesn't run through the same glitch. What if you're just such a troll and you pretend like there's a glitch and then you just kind of kind of wiggle back and forth for a while? <laughs> I mean... It's like, oh shit, imaginary chicanes! And just do that for the next minute. Hopefully, people who can afford $100,000 Teslas aren't going to be too big of a troll. Fuck that, I'm gonna do that. And then, you know, maybe, I don't know how fast this would be, but if this upload were almost instantaneous, it'd be great to be driving in front of another Tesla, say that there's a glitch in the road, and just start rocking your car back and forth, and you watch that guy behind you just sipping on his giant coat, just have that spill everywhere. <laughs> oh As my his God. car just... Just instantly corrects. That'd be the that's the future of commuting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are like parameters that you should be in. Like I know they can check for when you when you are like, you know, about to hit the the lines of the road. So if you cross them okay, when yeah, you're you swerving. You don't need to go that hard. I mean you can wiggle like three inches on each side very quickly. That that's enough to shake a cup out of someone's hand. <laughs> They're not expecting it. Totally. Oh, did you hear about the new seven series? How it auto parks itself? Was this any any from other auto parkings? As in, like you get out of the car, we're at the front door, and then you push a button, and it goes park and parks itself. And like yeah, a parking yeah, yeah. lot. But but is this yeah, Tesla had this update pretty recently 
So I'm taking this with a grain of salt now because Tesla made it sound like you'd step out of your car at the front of a restaurant and you click this auto park button and then it would just drive around and find some parking spot. Yeah. But what it turned out to be is that you could park somewhere, like say your garage at home, and then designate that as a parking spot. So it only park in known areas that you've set before. Oh, really? Okay. So is the 7 Series better than that? Uh, I'm honestly not sure. The, 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 they made it sound exactly the way you made it, you made or what Tesla made it sound to be. Like, go to a restaurant, get out, push a button, and it'll go find a parking spot on its own. Did they say that explicitly, though? No, I don't think so. I bet, I bet it's just the, what Tesla did, which I, I guess is cool, but... But nine times out of ten, getting out of your car before you get into the garage is is just worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, very few instances. Maybe, maybe, okay, that could be better here because my garage is in the basement. So it saved me about five seconds in the elevator. Yeah, but that, okay, but think about it like this, though. Now, instead of instead of driving into your heated garage and walking in indoors to an elevator to get to your apartment, now you you get out in the cold and have your car drive into the garage. And we're not even sure how it's going to open the garage door. Or maybe you have to watch it and then open the garage door for it. You know, if I'm walking through the cold, I'll walk faster. So I'll save like seven seconds. <laughs> so depends on how much I value my time See, which is not enough <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently you, you value your, your your time enough that you, you would pay a dollar to save the 30 minutes well yeah but let's do the math here like a dollar per 30 minutes and versus I don't know how many thousands of dollars it costs to get a car that has this versus a car that doesn't, and five to ten seconds. Yeah. I think I think the way to go would be okay, but it does have a self retrieval feature. So if you have this designated spot, let's say like you're parking in a crowded neighborhood. And maybe for some reason you own a nice car, but you only have street parking. Well, now you could designate some spot like four blocks down where no one lives and never have to worry about parking. Okay, that might be the only situation where that's useful. But if, if street parking is the only available parking... You can't even designate a spot because you're not uh, guaranteed that it's going to stay open. What if you could designate, what if you could program in like 10 spots and then you have backup spots? Okay. That would be a lot more likely to work or a lot less likely to fail. 
Yeah, I guess. Or maybe maybe you live in an apartment building that's next to a parking garage that you pay for for a spot. There you go. Yeah, that would be good. But see, it can't be too far away because then they'd be driving in normal traffic and then you'd be fucked. So it has it'd have to be in so, only in situations where it could be very close by, yet still far enough away that you want to get out before it can go park. That's not a lot of cases. No, not not at all. No. Yeah, I'm, I wonder what it would be like when it drives out. Like, will it stop? accurately where you are will it like sometimes overshoot a little bit and then you gotta walk those extra 20 steps i mean hopefully it'll it'll recognize the proximity of the key i mean i don't know i've never seen i've never like actually been in front of this technology ever before so it's really hard to say And it's also first gen. That's true. First gen. I mean, hell, when when cars started doing keyless entries, people could just start the car and then... Or people could start the car without the key being inside the car. Yeah. Yeah, proximity always is a little shaky at first. Yeah. Anything sensor-based. Because, you know, it's a it's this group of software developers who they probably just went through some long-ass development cycle just to get the damn thing to work. And at that point, they're like, wow, we got it to work. Let's just release it. Fuck this shit. <laughs> and then they realize, huh, this isn't working that well. Then, then they go in and fix everything. Yeah. Well, okay. I think that's that's pretty much about it for today.